Happy Friday, everyone, and happy Valentine's Day. Uh, today is Friday, February 14th, 2020. This is the Daily Covfefe that we do live every Monday and Friday. I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined, as usual, by Carrie Smith. Hey. Say hi. Hello, Carter. There she hi. is. Hi. Hi, guys. She might have been only slightly late. Not too late. Today. I was only <laughs> slightly late. Well, we have a big guest today. Yeah. We're very excited about, and I felt like we should do, we should build up the anticipation. Sure. Um, <laughs> this guest is famous from the Unsafe Space Book Club and from trolling you all on our <laughs> chats. Uh, <laughs> she she's a psychologist. She's a knitter, and she is the author of the viral article titled after attending a Trump rally, I realized Democrats are not ready for 2020. She claims to be, she claims to be someone who's been a Democrat for decades, but I don't know. I, I hear she's a Russian bot. Dr. Carlin B. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. My husband's a Ukrainian. That's very important. He is not a Russian. He's Ukrainian. <laughs> isn't there some sort of, uh, isn't there a Ukrainian conspiracy theory also about something? Oh, I think so, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome to the show. Uh, oh, I'm gonna just call you either Dr. K. I don't know. We call you Dr. K usually in chats. I don't know. Your full name is Dr. Carlin Bersain. All right, I think we're I think uh, we're back. You were telling me what to call you. Say that again because I think people missed it. Uh, Dr. K or Carlin, whichever, whichever you want, doesn't matter. Okay. I'm going to call you. I call you the doctor. good doctor sometimes. The good doctor. <laughs> you do. <laughs> the good doctor. Usually, I only make people call me doctor when I'm like mad at them, and I'm trying to stick it to them. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well. Um. Uh, well, hey, can I? Uh, can I just say? And I know we've Carter's probably said this while you guys were waiting on me, but I'm so happy that you're joining us today. And uh, you've had a very, this week has been an exciting week for a number of reasons. And you've had a very busy, exciting week, I'm sure. Dude. <laughs> you want to tell people a little about what happened with your piece? Yeah. So, so um, for, for anyone who doesn't know, um, I, 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 I live in New Hampshire and in around the New Hampshire primary, there's lots of stuff going on. And um, I decided the day before the primary to head over to Manchester, which is like the big city for us. And MSNBC was doing live tapings from there. And there was also a Trump rally later in the day. And I kind of wasn't sure if I was going to go to the Trump rally, but I thought I've seen all the Democrats. Why not just go and check it out? Like, what could possibly go wrong? And so I was telling people I was going to this Trump rally to harass you. It's going to be awful. They, they were completely serious. They were fearful for my safety. And I was like, I think it's going to be fine. But I knew I had to go at that point because, you know. Um, so I went and I had a great time. And I thought it was really great. It was awesome. The atmosphere was awesome. I totally understood why people love these things. And I decided to write an article about it and threw it up on Medium. I didn't really think too much of it. Uh, the first first day got like a couple hundred hits or something and I was like all right whatever um and then the next day it went viral and it's probably going to reach two million hits in the next um hour or so so it's insanity that's pretty insane that's uh yeah that's insane and um you were saying this happened before Trump Jr. tweeted anything it was started it was already taken off it, yeah, it started taking off um, that morning sometime, and then a couple other influencers tweeted it. Um, but the but when Trump Jr. tweeted it, that was when it all kind of like really hit the fan. And then Glenn Beck tweeted it, and Martha McCallum tweeted it, and I think Glenn Beck read the whole thing on his show this morning, and oh, Sargon cool. of Akkad did a video about it, and it's just like insanity. So um, hey, uh, wait, Carter, let me interject for one second, yeah. just with tech problems. In case there's a way to fix them, I don't know if there is, but everyone in the chat is saying the video keeps stopping. Yeah, so I've, I've they seen it a couple times stop. I think it's okay. back, but I don't know what's exactly okay. going on. So I'm trying to keep an eye but on they it. Said but they said they, yeah, they said they could hear your audio though. Okay, yeah, it froze a couple times. But, uh, okay, cool. We're just trying to. We're gonna. We have no choice but to work through it right now. So that's what we're doing. Okay. Um, should we? Should we? Um, Dr. K, should we do? Should we let's let's actually put your article up so people who haven't seen it. The link is in the uh, video, but here's the article on Medium. After attending a Trump rally, I realized Democrats are not ready for 2020. Um, 
And uh, I, we're not going to read the whole thing, but I'm wondering if you can maybe, um, can you give us some background about like, you've been, I, I see people now claiming that you were, um, oh, she's she's lying. She was never on the left. She's just like a Republican who's claiming that she was on the left. Can you give us a little background and maybe tell us who you voted for in the primary and Stuff yeah. Like <laughs> so I've, I've been a Democrat since I was 18 years old. I, I never I have literally never voted for a Republican in my life. I voted for um, I'm from Vermont. Like Vermont is very, very liberal state. Right. Um, So I voted for Bernie the entire time I lived in Vermont. I when I moved to New Hampshire, you know, I voted for Obama both times. Um, I voted for all Democrats in, in New Hampshire. And the, I think uh, New Hampshire has right now an all Democratic contingent. So that's kind of where the state's at um, in the 2016 primary, I voted for Bernie. I really did not like Hillary. I did not want to vote for Hillary when um, when she ended up winning. And I I kind of had to work myself up. I had to. Um, but no, I've never voted for a Republican in my life. <laughs> so that's my background. <laughs> I just uh, I wanted to say that that's not it's not unusual what they're doing to you, as I'm sure, you know, they um, and even in that comment thread on my wall, I'm sure you saw it, but they when I did my piece a couple years ago about leaving the SJW left, but, but still being a liberal, the same thing happens and it happens on all the time online. They can't stand. It's almost like I was saying this to Carter yesterday. They understand some of them. They understand the unusual aspect of your point of view. And they're like, wait a minute, this woman voted for Pete Buttigieg, but she's leaving the democratic party and thinks that the Democratic Party is going to lose in 2020 and that maybe even they deserve to lose in order to learn a lesson. That's unusual. They get that. Yeah. But then instead of asking, why is that? Why does she have this point of view? Help me understand it better. They go straight to, you must be a liar, Carlin. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I almost didn't vote for, for Mayor Pete. I decided I wanted to vote for Mayor Pete like back in the day when he was still normal. And before he turned into like robot Pete, because like he you know, like he's been running around New Hampshire for a while, right? Like they they come here a year before people even start talking about them. He used to be normal. He used to be sane, <laughs> and now he's pandering. And he almost lost my vote because of it. But I voted for him because I thought you know he's the most realistic choice that could win it that I would maybe support if he stops pandering. Um, so I actually, but I almost didn't vote for him at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, you're in the middle of that transition period, I think, where it seems like to me as an observer that your um, opinions are probably in flux. And the, and the thing that's happening is that, or at least happened with me, is that your opinions are in flux. You're starting to look at things differently and you're open to hearing other perspectives. But Pete, for example, mm -hmm. or the party itself is also in flux. And so it's hard to tell like sometimes how much you're moving versus how much the party's moving or how much a candidate is moving. Mm -hmm. Do you find that to be the case with him? You're saying he changed. I don't know as much about him as you do. So yeah. when did he start changing from your perspective? I think I started noticing it um, probably two or three months ago where he just became, he started pandering an awful lot um, and just in some of his statements. And he started go doing this thing where he doesn't really say anything with his statements. He just makes like these grand expressions of, you know, the democratic, the shape of democracy is shaped by something like that. It doesn't really mean anything. And, um, and I understand why he's doing it. I think, you know, he's a Capricorn. He's going to be very practical. He wants to win. He wants to be president all this stuff. Up. Um, but I think, uh, you know, it, it is true that my my positions, I would say, are a little bit in flux. I wouldn't actually, you know, I'm going to take that back. I don't necessarily think my positions are in flux as much as um, I'm becoming aware or I became aware that my party did not share my values any longer. I don't actually think my values have changed very much. I've always been pretty centrist. I've always been pretty down the line. Um, but my party went way the hell over there. Yeah, I th I would I would say that's accurate. Even if for someone like me, my opinions have been in flux for a while. But but the party that's the biggest part. I mean, I'm sure, uh, or you may be familiar with Dave Rubin now. He's someone who I first heard say, you know, I didn't leave the left. The left left me. Like yeah. it's it changed, <laughs> and it became about something that wasn't really liberalism. 
And Mm -hmm. I think that's, I think we're witnessing, we're living in interesting times, that's for sure. But so, um, oh, wait a minute. I think Carter just dropped out. Carter is frozen on mine. Carter, you are frozen. I thought you were just intently figuring something out. Uh Uh-oh, (laughs) uh-oh. But he's frozen in place. I can't hear you, Carter. Um, Are we still live? Let's see. I think we're still still live. Carry on, he says. All right. He says carry on. Okay. So uh, tell me a little bit about, because this is obviously, we met you through when we started talking about SJW, what I call SJW ideology, but this kind of identitarian based leftism that I don't think is liberal at all. That's sort of cannibalizing the left and cannibalize my party. That's for sure. Um, We met you when we started reporting on that or doing episodes about uh, it's, it's um, convergence or whatever it's prevalence in the knitting community and some of these SJP knitting wars. And so I know uh, that you have a, that's where you, is that where you started to see this? And do you want to talk a little bit about your involvement or what you witnessed happen in the knitting world? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I wasn't really paying attention to all this cultural stuff that was going on, to be honest. And so I, I really had no idea about SJW anything until it infiltrated the knitting community. And I, I, I wasn't paying too much. I wasn't paying as much attention as some, but how it first hit me was um, when Nathan Sockmetician, when everyone, all the big knitters came out like denouncing him. And what I heard at the time was he had attacked a black woman at a knitting event. And of course, now we know that that's not true. He didn't attack anyone. They, if anything, they were the aggressors in that situation, but he was being denounced in all these places. And, um, a, made like a general statement about not supporting that type of thing and he should have spoken out sooner and I ended up commenting on his Instagram post and I said something to the effect of like you know you shouldn't be forced to speak out about anything like do it in your own time whatever I got lambasted for that comment for days and I was like what the hell is going on? Like, have people lost their minds? And I would try to, like, reason with them because I didn't know that you couldn't reason with them at the time. And it was just like, no. And it just kept coming for days. I got these horrible messages. And it was just like, what the hell's going on? And then um, I ended up discovering you guys and just watching all your deprogrammed episodes. It completely explained it and put it in a way where I was able to see context around what what was happening with the community. And so um, I've been one of the people on Instagram that's been kind of like coming and pushing back sometimes more aggressively than I should when I see this stuff happening. Um, because it's just like it, like that experience hey. for me ruined knitting for me for a while. It was like, I felt so sad every time I was knitting. I was like, I don't want to feel sad about that. Um, so I ended up at some point posting, uh, just posting a definition of the word bullying on my on my Instagram because I thought, you know, I don't make money from knitting, so they can't really attack my business. Um, but I do know what bullying is because I wrote my doctoral dissertation on it, so I can do this. And, oh, man, that was... That was I was called a racist and a Nazi and all the all the names, all the phobes for, like, several days after that you have a unique set of skills because like you said you're uh you're a doctor who specialized in you you wrote your thesis on bullying and so that's interesting to me because um they like to a lot of times these bullies these SJW bullies they like to claim some kind of expertise on things and they and they also we've talked about this before but they project a lot so they'll accuse you of doing what they're doing right um and they'll accuse you of bullying while they're bullying it's like like you know they're hitting you and they're like stop hitting yourself yeah <laughs> or stop yeah. hitting other people and so i'm sure they find that really hard when you uh if they're arguing with you for you then to be like well i can kind of study this it's kind of what i did yeah. yeah yeah and i mean i don't like to like throw that stuff out there as much i i feel like i have to sometimes in these conversations just because they push back on the definition of things and i'm like no there's a standard definition of this this is this is what this is um but the minute i throw out that like i've actually done work in this area the response I get is, well, you have like, what is it like, you know, educational privilege or something like that. And blame that it doesn't, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's some sort of privilege. And I ended up having this really long, I mean, for hours and hours and hours back and forth with this one woman, when I posted the bullying thing about the definition of the word bullying. And I eventually like Googled her and did some sleuthing. And I found out like she works part-time at Starbucks and that's all she did. And I was like, you know what? 
You like you have no candle to what I've done in this area. Like put a sock in it. Come on, relax. It's and it's weird because I mean I one of the things they do, and we've talked about the fallacies before too. They will they will um, a lot of times they'll engage in the uh, uh, what is it the fallacy of authority where they just kind of bow to authority like oh well you've got credentials and they do that if it's someone who agrees with them. So if it's someone like Robin DiAngelo or whoever who's written who the white woman who coined the phrase white fragility, if it's an academic that agrees with them, then they're all about authority. And this person has the credentials and therefore they must be right. But the second that you're an academic or someone with the credentials who doesn't agree with them, then that's out the window. They contradict themselves all the time. Yeah. And and the way I view it, just so I'm clear, um, about what I believe. I, even look, even that woman, I'm sure she was awful. But if if all I knew about her was that she worked at Starbucks, it doesn't mean she doesn't have some va- valid insight right. if she were talking to me. And I'm sure you agree mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. Um, it, it just means like, uh, it, I, I don't know, when people make arguments, there's lots of different things to weigh. One thing to weigh, I'm going to give a nod to SJWs, one of the things they say, I do weigh lived quote lived experience i do weigh somebody's anecdotal evidence of of what they've experienced but i also weigh their credentials um how long they've studied something um i weigh uh you know the strength of their arguments mostly and you know all those things together it's not like one thing makes you right Mm -hmm. and that's what they usually do they'll say this makes you right a credential makes you right Unless it's someone we don't agree with, right? <laughs> then we, then the credential doesn't matter. Um, right, right, right. Carter asked. Carter is in chat with us. Oh, he's back. It looks like he asked me to talk. Ask you about MAGA versus Red Pill, and I'm not sure exactly what he means about that, but I have a question related to that. I guess. Can you explain a little bit about how? Um, so everybody uses the term Red Pill differently, mm-hmm. and some people when they use it. This is why it's good to define terms because some people say, oh, you've been red-pilled, meaning you've become a Republican or you've become a conservative or you've become a Trump. They mean different things. And some people just mean – when I use red pill, I I guess I mean you just became unwoke. And that can mean any number of things. Um, And then on the extreme end, some people use red pill to mean like – they're like, oh, you became red-pilled, meaning you're a white nationalist now or something. So what do you view your, if you've been red pilled, how do you define red pill for you? Yeah. So I'm not sure I was ever like totally, totally woke. I definitely had some of those tendencies, but that's kind of how I've defined it is I, I became unwoke. I think would be the closest. I'm not, I'm not becoming a Republican. I don't know if I'm going to vote for Trump. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. My husband's certainly trying to get me to, um, but um, no, it's just a matter of kind of like realizing how much, you've been lied to by the media and by all these things and how crazy all this stuff is. And I think, I think what I said to you one time way back when was, I feel like I've woken up. It is. It's like, well, there's something interesting about the, 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 the fact that they use the term woke. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, I was thinking about this a lot when I started waking up, they use woke, which it's a past tense word. It means it's almost like I'm woke. I, I know everything now. I get it. I'm right. I'm speaking mm-hmm. the correct ideology. There's right. nothing left to learn. Mm-hmm. But an actual awakening, like waking up, is something that is continuous. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's not in the past. It's like yeah. something you're doing every day. So I think there's a big difference. You're, you're having an awakening. You're not woke. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's exactly it. And it's, it's funny because, I mean, I, I uh, right around the time that it all started with um, with me getting attacked the first time, I started really questioning a lot of things and questioning that were the stories that I believed true. And I started making a very proactive effort to watch people that I really thought I would disagree with. Like Ben Shapiro was one of the first people I started watching because I was like, he is Satan himself. So I need to investigate and understand. And he's not actually Satan, as it turned out. So when when I started understanding <laughs> that, that um, things weren't as they had been presented, I mean, it's just it's been an ongoing thing of continuing to discover these stories that I was sold um, because I watched way too much MSNBC and I thought were true, but are just really not true at all. I had the same experience. Mm-hmm. There were people who like Ben Shapiro, who I had just been told, you don't interact with their content. And you form, at least in my case, you form your opinions based on 
what your echo chamber is telling you about them. And so I had all kinds of other people's opinions that I would express, you know, Ben Shapiro is like this, you know, Steven Crowder's like this and Milo Yiannopoulos is like that. And, but I had never listened to them and I had never, and, and when you start actually engaging with it, you might find that you don't agree with them on a lot of things, but it's, but at least you're coming to your own opinion if you engage with it, you know, that's yeah. really, that's really uh, cool that you started. So you, do you find with Ben Shapiro, for example, how, how much would you say? Cause I, again, we want to dispel this myth that you're uh, a liar and a longtime uh, Republican who's pulling our leg. Someone like Ben Shapiro, how much would you say you probably agree with him on policy? Do you know, have any idea? Like 50-50, I tend to be pretty conservative when it comes to, or not even conservative, like very libertarian when it comes to like a lot of the economic stuff. And Ben Shapiro is much more libertarian than I think people give him credit for. Some of the social stuff I don't agree with him with. I am very, very pro-choice. Um, within limits, I'm not like crazy about it, but like I I, I believe in um, the woman, a woman's right to choose. And, um, you know, the thing about him, though, is it's like, even if I disagree with him on some things, he's just funny. He's very like funny. The same thing with Crowder. Like Crowder is super smart and he's funny. And it's like I don't need to agree with you because you know you're you're having a discussion about ideas and and that's a good thing regardless of whether or not we end up agreeing. Absolutely. So Carter, Carter can. Yeah, we still can't hear you, but I can see you. Um, he's got another question for you. We're gonna. I, I'm gonna continue doing this unless you give me different instructions. Uh, Carter's wondering about have you lost any friends or family during this kind of this journey that you're on dude okay i have lost a lot of friends and it actually started i i was canceled and i didn't even realize it i didn't realize it until much later so so (laughs) (laughs) here's what happened so i had this group of friends they're called the kittens they're like these women that i had met over the years that um that uh through this one community i was in that uh you know we we had all these groups together we lived in different places but we supported each other sometimes we would travel with for each other to celebrate people's birthdays i i flew hundreds of miles to help them move all this stuff like i was super loyal to them and they kind of ganged up on me in a group Facebook chat one day, just randomly saying, Carlin, we need to have an intervention. And I was like, I don't have time for this right now because I was actually doing something like, no, you need to stop what you're doing because we need to have a discussion about your language. And it turned out it was something stupid. Like they were reprimanding me for using the term you guys or it was something like that. It was (laughs) a stupid Facebook thing that they had gone and had this meeting and they decided they needed to re-educate me on these things. And I was like, this is ridiculous ridiculous like i am not first of all i'm not engaging in this over facebook messenger of all things like at least grow a pair and do a skype or a zoom i mean come on (laughs) (laughs) but i was like this is the most ridiculous thing in the world and so i didn't realize i was being canceled at the time but i was totally canceled by that group and you know you know, fast forward to to when I started really waking up, I started posting these things on Facebook saying, I think we need to think about this or Trump is doing pretty good over here. Or like, what about this? What about this video from Ben Shapiro or this? Oh, my God. Like most of the people that are in my life have like, you know, they would always try to reeducate me or explain to me why I'm wrong. And I'm like, I really don't think I am. So, um, yeah, I've, I've lost a lot of friends, but I mean, you know, in the past 48 hours, I've gained a lot of friends and I've gained a lot of friends from you guys too, in the show and the community there and the book club. And so it's all good, whatever people grow apart. It's what it is. I think that's a really healthy attitude. Um, that's kind of what, that's what I've found as well is that, we, it, it's sort of like we've talked about before about um, the sometimes your garden weeds itself and you're like, oh, I didn't realize that was a weed. I thought that was a friend. But then then it, they reveal themselves when, I don't know, there's something about um, trying to be honest and trying to figure out what you really think about things that scares some people. And I think it really does. I think it's rooted in fear. And so um, those people have to remove them. They remove themselves from your life. And it's like, okay, well, it makes it, it makes a space for you to make a more authentic friendship with someone. And it's better. In the end, it's better. 
Right. And that was part of it, too, is I always felt like and a lot of them work in higher education, too. So, I mean, they're they're in that all the time. Um, And I always felt like I had to say things a certain way or really watch my language. And I couldn't really say what I thought. And it was exhausting to maintain it. And it was exhausting. It was just like it's so not worth it. Like if you don't like me for who I am and you don't think that I'm a good person because I disagree with you on some things or I don't I don't feel an excessive need to eliminate the term you guys from my vocabulary like come on relax it's it's just not worth it no they actually um if there are any sjw's who are hate watching right now (laughs) and there might be because there's been a kerfluffle the past two days within the sjw knitting world um if they're already watching right now i've i I always i said this to carter and and it it's it's so true when i was an sjw that that word, what you're talking about, you're like suffocating yourself. You said suffocate. It's suffocating because it it is a um it is an ideology that's that supports censorship, and I truly believe history shows us if given the power to do so, they would forcibly censor people. Um, but in the meantime, they do it they do it through self censorship, through fear, and so people are constantly afraid of making a misstep because they don't want to be canceled and they don't want to be called out and they don't want to be attacked. And so, um, a lot of times it's like, I I compare it to like an SJW sort of running everything they say and post online through a filter of like, is this the correct thing? Am I, am I accidentally using any words like you guys (laughs) that have been turned, that have been decided, you know, off limits. You can't use that. And they're, so they're constantly afraid of like tripping up and it's really exhausting to live like that. Yeah. And and Laura in the chat just said she likes that I use the term dude. Dude is another one I got in trouble for because dude is med. Like, relax. (laughs) (laughs) There there are certain things I'm going to put my energy into and they are not eliminating things that have been in my vocabulary since I was a child. (laughs) Okay, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is. Um, and it's like, it, it, there was another woman in that community and she wasn't in the, the close group that I was with, but oh my God, this woman like took over this this community that I was in. And she is the most like angry woman you can put like most angry sjw you can possibly imagine and i was in a meeting with her one time and she said i am acting from a place of righteousness and i know it and that's why i will not give up and i was like that's what's wrong with you. <laughs> like, it, it, seriously, it, it infects everything. It's awful. It's also, I think it's that, it's the arrogance and the assuredness that you're right. I mean, sometimes I still operate, when I was an SJW, I operated from righteousness, of course, and I still do that sometimes. But the difference is, I don't think they ever stop and question themselves and and try and make sure they're not engaging in hypocrisy or projection. I mean, a lot of the times when you see what they post online in these comments, like on the Instagram Knitting Wars, everything they're saying could apply to them. But it's like they've never thought that. They've never thought, am I the one that needs to shut up and listen? Or am I the one that needs to take whatever this advice is that I'm giving? Should I take that? And that practice, I think, is something that Anyway, it helped it helps me because I can get I can get on my righteous high horse now too, but sometimes like, okay, well, am I being a hypocrite? Like constantly, am I being a hypocrite about XYZ? That's a good question to ask yourself. Right. And that's very different than self-censorship. That's just sort of like I think taking an inventory daily of like what that's one of their words inventory but anyway (laughs) taking Mm -hmm. kind of kind of honestly assessing yourself and saying, Am I behaving in a way? that reflects what I believe? And uh, am I am I engaging in a behavior that I'm criticizing this other person for? And they don't seem to do that at all. Um, no. I'm wondering, can you talk a little about, because you are, because you have the background that you do, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I'd like to just hear, I have my armchair thoughts about bullying, and I think a lot of bullying is rooted in fear. Mm-hmm. Um, or ca- cowardliness. What can you tell us a little bit about what you studied and and how mm-hmm. you see it manifesting in these SJW mobs? 
Yeah, so I studied workplace bullying specifically. Um, my PhD is in psychology, but it's focused in industrial organizational psychology. And my dissertation was about how young professionals cope with being the target of workplace bullying. And the thing about bullying, and I think this is true, I actually see a lot of similarities between um, the, the SJW community, or at least what I've seen in knitting and, and in the workplace, is because when the bullying starts, it is purely, it, it's a power game. It's I'm going to see how much I can get away with here and um and it starts as like really really small things it starts as you know someone's chair gets moved or you know someone's someone's toy in their office moves to a different location it's stupid stuff that people don't even notice if they're not paying attention to it and then it just increases and increases and increases over time and people don't even realize what's happening to them until they're in the full throes of being attacked and sometimes even mobbed by groups of people um that when it just when it gets to an extreme um and i seen that a lot in the knitting community where sometimes it starts by just like you know have you thought about saying it this way and then it, all of a sudden you're in a full-on <laughs> you're in a full-on um you're getting attacked by by a lot of different people so bullying is mostly it's it's about power and i think the thing i want to emphasize about the definition of bullying is um that that a key component of the definition is you know the it can come from any level but it it, you've taken away the target's ability to defend themselves in the context. And so I, I've taken a lot of heat for saying that, you know, Nathan was bullied because they were like, he's a man, he has power, all this stuff. Well, no, no, no. When he's getting mobbed by hundreds and hundreds of people, like you've taken and you're going after the people he partners with and you're doing all this other stuff to try to ruin his business. You have taken away his ability to defend himself in this situation. Yes. They refuse to look at it on an individual level like that, though. That's what that's going back to like the racism and the sexism and stuff that's inherent in their belief system. They don't look at him as an individual and say, in this situation, is this guy, have we rendered him incapable of defending himself? They look at it and say, that's impossible because he's white and he's a man. Right. <laughs> right. And they it. forget that he's that's, gay. Yeah. You know? And that's how that shallow it is. Yeah, that yeah. doesn't count. Well, okay, something you said there was really interesting. I wrote it down. You said, like, it'll start with something small, like moving your chair. Yeah. In the, in the workplace or whatever. And that's and then next thing you know, they've got you in this corner. That's kind of what they do online. They But they do it. They get you to move your chair. They, yeah. they'll, they'll get you to alter your language in these small ways. They get you to get, it's kind of how they indoctrinate you in some ways is that it's like, okay, well, it's just a small thing and you don't want to harm people. Do They use the harm thing. You don't want to harm people, do you? If you don't want to harm people, Carlin, then you have to stop saying you guys. Right. Right. Well, right. Exactly. And it's it, again, it's like like seeing what they can get away with. But it's also like bullies tend to be charismatic. There's actually research to show, at least in the workplace, again, that bullies are very good at office politics. They know how to play the game. They know how to get people on their side. And so it, 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 like the people that are being targeted because they tend to be more reasonable, sane people, they want to be agreeable. They want to please them. They they want to they want to prove themselves in some cases. And so they just keep going along with it until it just goes way too far i can tell i can totally see that they're very um especially if you look at the ones who amass large followings online um they're very charismatic people and and i think because they use that i don't know maybe it's because they use that harm language or whatever that that they get they prey upon people's goodwill Mm -hmm. So they get people to kind of alter their language in one small way to move their chair, so to speak, in one way, and then move it further and then move it further. And then next thing you know, it's like everything you say has to be run through this filter and they've mm -hmm. got total control over you now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so Carter says uh, beforehand, you guys were talking about the fact that many liberals don't realize how much things have changed and they still identify as leftists and they don't understand what's going on here. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? I also think there's a lot of people who a lot of liberals who are living as if it as if we were still in the 90s. 
Oh, I totally agree with that. I was completely living like like it was still the Democratic Party of of the 90s, which is when I was most actively involved in politics. And even though I mean, I was even watching the news like a lot. I felt like I knew what was going on. But I, I think it's it's you know, it's almost similar to bullying, I think, in that it happened in small increments. And then it was like they just totally went off a cliff. And I think that people might be so exhausted with politics and frankly exhausted with Trump to a certain extent that um, that they just they tune out when this stuff is coming up and they're not thinking about it critically um, and how it could actually impact their lives. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Carter's not here. So I have to do a couple different jobs. Carter, uh, one job I need to do real quick is thank you guys for the super chats. Blackbeard, Blackbeard donated a dollar ninety nine. Why is it two dollars, Blackbeard? <laughs> he says, "Yard, there be my favorite bigots." That's kind of funny. Uh, and then, thank you, Nicole. Did you wear your? She asked, "Did you wear your awesome hat to the Democratic primary debate?" No, I didn't go to the debate. I actually went to like this big fundraising dinner where all the all the candidates were, and I did not wear my hat. I thought about it, but um, I was going for free with the the Buttigieg campaign gave me my ticket, and so I was I was in full Buttigieg garb for. <laughs> for the democratic thing I want nice. <laughs> I think some of the your critics the people who are, are not liking your piece kind of miss the miss the fact that you've yeah. uh you've done your due diligence you didn't just go to a Trump rally you've been to the democratic uh forum events like you've been you you get out <laughs> oh, yeah, I've seen I've seen all of them. And I actually went even to um, even one of the earlier ones, the New Hampshire Democratic Convention, where they like there were even more candidates there. So I've I've I have New Hampshire politicked out. I've listened to all of them. <laughs> uh, OK, one more super chat. Thank you, Daniel. You guys, uh, I, I guess when you do super chats, it's you can highlight your question real big in color. So if you have a question when you do a super chat, feel free to put it in there. Um Okay, so one other question from Carter, and this goes back to what we were talking about a second ago about bullies. So what do you think is the, mm -hmm. so you kind of talked a little bit about how it how it works and how they're charismatic and they kind of will alter small things and it's incremental. But what do you think is the underlying motivation behind it? Like what is, I, I, again, I think, I think a lot of it's fear. That's just what my gut says. But um but what do you think well, is is underneath? I think there are components of fear to it, but it's not maybe in fear in how you're thinking about it. Um, what I what I think when I see a bully is someone that is looking for empowerment by controlling other people's experiences rather than taking responsibility for what they're doing and what what experience they're having either in like the workplace or the world. And if you can't take responsibility for yourself, well, the next best thing to do is to try to control other people. It's a way of, you know, I mean, in, in, in a great number of, of cases, it's a, in an immense feeling of personal powerlessness. They haven't discovered that, that they really do have so much control over their reality more than they ever give themselves credit for. And so they have to find a way to gain power, not, 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 not necessarily because they need to push someone down, but because they need to have some sort of control over something. So one of the primary profiles we see in bullies, it's, it's, um, and Donald Trump actually has this profile. Um, it's, it's mm -hmm. uh, like a very dominant profile and I'm not necessarily saying Trump's a bully. I don't know, but like, um, it's a very dominant profile. And one of their biggest fears is losing control because if they lose control, that means they don't get what they want. Does that make sense? It does. And actually, that's as you were talking, Carter message to say, so they feel powerless internally, which is you yeah, answered yeah. that. Yes, mm -hmm. that that struck me in um, the conversation with uh, on, on my wall with one of the detractors of your piece was that I was thinking about it. I was talking about it um, offline with someone and I was like, you know, this guy, I think, is when you think about like like uh, order and chaos. Right. Which Jordan Peterson talks about a lot. Mm -hmm. I think there's something attractive about a rigid ideology, a very, very controlled black and white ideology. You're either with me and you're good or you disagree mm -hmm. with me and you're evil. The attractive thing about that is that it gives you a sense of control over things. Really simple. You look at you divide everything into black and white. It makes it really easy. And so someone like that, I was like, why can't this guy just drop his fear and engage with us 
um, and explain himself and explain his point of view and explain why he disagrees with you and why he disagrees with your prediction that the Democrats going to lose. That was a big problem of his. He didn't oh, like that yeah. you predicted that. Yeah. But why can't he explain that? And I and I think it's because to do so would mean that he has to drop his whole ideology, his whole easy way of looking at the world, which makes him feel in control. Yeah. Well, it's an incredibly vulnerable thing to do. I mean, he's afraid of he's afraid of being vulnerable. He's afraid of opening himself up because if he drops if he drops that pretense, if he drops that point of view, what other things is he wrong about? Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's exactly. Then you're just like, uh, as I've put it before, you're in some sense, if your ideology is like a house, you're not just changing a window, which is traumatic enough you're like raising your house to the ground because now you're yeah. questioning everything right yeah i was even telling my coach the other night after i um when i was coming home from the trump rally i like my head was physically hurting because i had such cognitive dissonance about the whole thing it was like i really like i enjoyed the trump rally i liked i frankly liked some of the things that he and don jr said i did and it was just it, like these moments for me where i've been like breaking away like i've actually had physical headaches because it's like i feel like i'm being pulled in two different directions and what does this mean for who i am like i never i mean like spoiler alert i never envisioned my life unfolding in a way that i'm a darling of the right (laughs) (laughs) that was never part of my plan (laughs) right oh well get ready not only are they going to call you a liar and a russian bot but they're going to call you and i think i saw somebody already did a grifter uh they're going to call you as as if you're like sitting around like you know a good way to make some money (laughs) like let me destroy my entire ideological framework and lose a lot of friends and family and make a pretty penny like they i don't know it's a it's a funny it's a funny thing to suddenly be like i mean it's weird enough like you said to find yourself in a place where oh my god these people that maybe i had certain stereotypes about or i'd made certain prejudgments about are being very welcoming and kind. <laughs> That's weird enough. Mm-hmm. But then you get the some of the most um, vocal, hateful people from the, I would say the extremists from your side or from my side, from the left, who are reinforcing why you're leaving because they're being so it, right. hateful. It's like, right. what? why do you think I left? It's Look at the way you're behaving and me yeah. just having, yeah. Well, and I kind of explain this to my friends like all the time, like before before I kind of cut ties with a lot of them. I try to explain to them like if you want to change people's minds, you have to hit them emotionally. Emotions are how people make decisions. That's just how the brain is wired. And so if you're calling them horrible, horrible names, do you think they're going to come over to your side of the table? You have to give people that space to change, and that is a lesson they have not learned. But yeah. Okay, so Carter has another question for you. He wants to know. So what are some of the biggest narratives that you notice need to be questioned? And I would I would even uh, to make that specific, like on the left, like what are some of the biggest um, misconceptions that you had that were kind of dispelled in by this experience? Um, I think that for me, probably, and this is this is going back a while. This wasn't just like from the Trump rally, but some of my perceptions about Donald Trump, I think, are were were frankly wrong. I think one of the biggest wake up calls for me, um, and you know, Brandon from the Walkaway Movement talks about this as well, was when he realized that Trump was not mocking the disabled reporter because he was disabled. Like, if you look at Trump's rally clips, he does that weird motion when he's mocking people. Now, is it good that? he was mocking people no probably not but they but he was not mocking the reporter because he was disabled he was mocking the reporter because he disagreed with him and those are two fundamentally different things um i think there was also when um really looking at his language around um after charlottesville when he said there are good people on both sides and realizing that he was not referring to the nazis because that's another story that that you know reinforced yeah. the fact that you know he's just this horrible racist person. He wasn't referring to the Nazis. If you watch the whole speech, he wasn't referring to them. Um, and you can just find instance after instance. And I remember, like, I used to feel bad for Trump even right after he got elected, where I thought people would just take him too seriously. I think the minute that you understand that Trump is a New Yorker, like he's gonna be blustery. He's gonna like stick his chest out. He's like he uses hyperbole a lot. Um, and I think that's been one of the biggest things for me is trying to understand who he is as a human being and how he shows up in that way. And also that he's just trolling everyone. Like this is like yeah. sport for him. It's like a game. 
Which is funny because again, this is where they get part of it right, and then they miss that crucial that crucial understanding from what they do get right. They get that he's a troll. I will see them say he's a troll, but then they take the bait every time. Every <laughs> like, time. If you every know time. he's a troll, why are you taking yeah. the bait? That's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, okay, so a couple of interesting things in chat. Jason says. It's funny that they'll call critics of SJWs grifters, but they praise two women who are paid to attend dinners for $2,500 a piece so that they can screech at and guilt shame white women allies, which is true. Um, Again, I think it's projection. They're used to making And a lot of times they tell you a lot about themselves and whatever insults they're aiming at you. So if they're calling you a grifter, it's because that's what they would be doing. That's what they we've seen SJW grifters who make money off of this belief system. It's like they're. They're like, uh, what's happening? Why is she writing this piece that I don't agree with? She must be a liar. She must be a grifter. She must be all the things that they are. She must be a bully. She was like, yeah, yeah, you're telling me a lot about you. <laughs> right, right. Um, okay, let's see. Hey, you guys have any? Have, hang on, I, I have something we all we all need to celebrate because as we've been on the call, we have passed two million views on the article. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> that is amazing. That's intense, man. <laughs> That is amazing. I mean, I saw uh, yesterday when it was at a million, and then you corrected me this morning. You're like, I think we'll hit two before the show. I'm like, that is pretty, uh, yeah. it's just very impressive. And it's just speeding up, honestly. It just keeps going and going. So we'll see how much it goes, but I think it's fun. That's awesome. Um, okay, so I'm going to switch gears here for a second and talk about the other interesting thing that's happening since you are in the knitting world that's been happening this week, which is the... Um, we did this promo with Maria Tuscan Knits to give away some of her. She's kind of having fun. She came out with these new this new line of yarn with um, it's called uh, Polarized Knits, and she let us she gave us some to do a giveaway with. And it's the names are all. But here here's the thing: the names are some of them are from SJW Bingo, so it's stuff like problematic, you know, mm-hmm. um, emotional labor stuff like that. But she also took care to put in some words that people like me use a lot, like woke. You know, she's like kind of not exclusively poking fun of just SJWs. And um, she put this out. She's having some fun with it. And I actually didn't think that they were at, at yesterday. There didn't seem to be that much pushback. And I was like, OK, maybe they've learned like the bullying stuff isn't working. And then this morning they get up earlier than I thought they did. Are and- they? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there. I know you've been with your. Uh, I'm a little just distracted. <laughs> a little distracted. But if you guys and anybody watching, if you get a chance, go to Maria's Instagram today. Go to Tuscan Knits and look at her post about the new yarn. And they're just all in there saying the same things they've always said. It's almost like they copy and paste each other's comments. They're accusing her of harming people with her yarn. Uh, are you? <laughs> I know you're laughing. Um, so one of the knitters sent me a screenshot of, uh, I think it was Tabitha sent me a screenshot of them calling our channel dangerous. So I thought I would wear my dangerous Valentine's day hat today just cause we're dangerous. <laughs> um, they called her a white supremacist again. And, and I know we laugh at it, but it's also like, if you're on the receiving end of that and you're getting this constant barrage of people who like, you're a white supremacist, you're a Nazi, you're a white, all these things that you're not. I just, I can't imagine what that feels like. And so if you guys have a few seconds to go in there and um, and speak up on behalf of Maria, you know, please do if you want to do that. But um, anyway, I, I figured you hadn't had a chance to see it yet. So I wanted to bring no, it up. No, and I will definitely be attacking that when we, <laughs> when we get off the call. But you know, what, what, it's like so mind boggling to me though, that they throw these words around like they mean nothing. And I've, I've thought a lot about what it might, must have been like to, um, you know, to have maybe family that died in the Holocaust and to see the word Nazi being thrown out real willy nilly, like it means nothing. And the thing it is too, it's like real Nazis will tell you they're Nazis. Real white supremacists will tell you that they're not a of it they don't think it's a bad thing yeah they use it and that use it it is it is i think very it's trivializing of what that word means right. um and then there's something else that's happening that you could probably speak to um you know from the psychological level which is that 
they're in, they, they seem pretty blind to the fact, again, this goes back, I guess, to lack of introspection, but they seem pretty blind to the fact that their behaviors don't match what they, what they're speaking. And so they, they'll be calling someone like Maria a Nazi while they're simultaneously saying things like they want to burn her yarn. One of them said that. And I'm like, yeah, guess who else likes to burn things? (laughs) Nazis. Well, I mean, that's the basis of projection, though, isn't it? Because um, you're so resistant to see, like, so when when people are projecting, it's it's fundamentally that they see something in someone else that is reflecting back something about themselves that they don't like, but they're not taking responsibility for that thing that's in themselves that they don't like, so they're putting it entirely on the other person and saying, you're doing this, you're doing that. But, I mean, subconsciously, they know, um, and and, you know, maybe maybe at some sometime they'll have an awakening and they will be like, oh, I really shouldn't have done that. Like I look at I think back to even stuff I said online, you know, a couple, not, maybe not a couple, but like, you know, six, seven months ago, I have so much shame over the some of the things that came out of my mouth when I didn't realize what I was doing and what I was saying. And, um, you know, maybe someday they'll have that same awakening. Yeah. I had the same. It's it's I even said to one of them today, one of them came onto my Instagram profile and, and just, you know, kept calling me a Nazi and a white supremacist. And I did say to this person, because I because I I I never did that. I never ran around calling people Nazis and white supremacists who were not. But um I did say things while I was in the SJW called a belief that um I that were not my own opinions and things that were flat out false and wrong that I believed because that was what the group thinks said, you know, like, like having an opinion about someone like Ben, Sh- ben Shapiro being Satan or whatever. Um, and so I, I, I see that and I see that person engaging in that. And so I said, I was like, you know, I do appreciate your tenacity and your passion that you're here continuing to call me names. It's just that I hope at some point in your life, you learn how to channel that towards doing good things instead of evil like it's like you can take those things that tenacity and that warrior spirit you know warriors are part of the sjw thing you can take that warrior spirit and and hopefully at some point in your life something's going to make you have an awakening that could then help you channel it towards good things instead of instead of trying to tear people down um Okay, so Carter has a question for you. Uh, since you've made predictions that people don't like, <laughs> um, he's wondering, do you think that the Democratic Party can survive? Or do you think that the social justice has metastasized? Will the party ever return to liberalism? I don't know, man. I, I feel like, you know what it is? It's kind of like... Um, So I'm a little bit of like a history nerd. And if you look back at how Abraham Lincoln was elected president, it was it was not because he got the most votes. It was because the two Democrats split the vote. And that's how Lincoln was elected president, right? So, so there were two Democrats running. One was a Southern Democrat, one was from somewhere else. I don't really remember. But the the South split the vote from the other one, and because they couldn't agree. And it's almost the same thing happening now. Like you know, Trump is going to get elected because I I don't think. Well, first of all, I think Trump you know, probably has, I think he's probably going to get elected with like a majority this time. I don't think it's going to be anywhere close, but you know, the people that are looking at people like Buttigieg or, you know, like Tulsi Gabbard or even like Biden or they're like the more moderate, like sane people, they're not going to vote for Bernie. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't think even Warren's not even like a factor anymore, but like they're not going to vote for Bernie. All this stuff, like the project Veritas stuff is like, it's already become a TV ad for the conservatives. And, you know, if Bernie gets a nomination, that's going to be splashed over everything. And, you know, I so I just I don't see the Democrats coming together to coalesce around one candidate and Trump's going to win because of it. But he probably won anyway. Who knows? Do you think? Well, I might. I don't know. On that, I might disagree with you. I still tend to think, well, I voted for Bernie in 2016 and I still have a soft spot for him. And I think I guess maybe um I'm I'm probably underestimating the people you're talking about who vote for the more mainstream Democrats or the, the that they won't that they don't like Bernie. I forgot. I keep forgetting there was this absolute Bernie hatred by the people who voted for Clinton. There was this whole they called us all Bernie Bros and stuff, and they yeah. The the I keep forgetting about that. So you might be right. Um, but what about after this election? So let's say let's um, say he does win and they have another huge meltdown, and they do you think they're the party? is capable of 
introspection and learning their lesson. I mean, I kind of know what I think about this, but do you think that they'll, after the second loss, they'll wake up and, and start questioning some of the stuff that they've been preaching or? I don't know, man. I th- I feel like, I, you know, they're either like one of one of two extremes is going to happen. Either they're going to continue to dig in and double down and even go harder. And it's going to make them look even more insane than they already look. Or maybe some of them will say, we need to take a minute. We need to take a step back. The woke stuff is not working. People don't want it. Um, I tend to think it's probably going to be that they're going to double down and it's just going to destroy the whole thing. But we'll see. I mean, who knows? Yeah. I did notice that. Yeah, Laura says Bernie's a communist, honey. Okay, I know. <laughs> but here's the thing about Bernie. And uh, and I've said this to Carter before, and I'm, I'm sure he really regrets his tech not working right now because he probably wants to disagree with me and push back. But Bernie, and, and I, Bernie is someone who comes off as authentic to me. Now, we, you may or may not agree with his policies and his beliefs, and you may think his beliefs are totally wrongheaded, but unlike a lot of them, I feel like he's an authentic person, and and that means, I don't know why, I know it's different than Carter, but I think intent matters a lot, and I think authenticity matters a lot, and so I kind of like him, even though I'm not voting for him this time, and I also think people voted, a lot of people voted for him this for the same reason they voted for Trump, which is that he was just something different. Mm-hmm. And he was more, uh, he was speaking things, he was like a populist. And he seen people view him as outside the system, the same way that Trump voters view Trump as outside the system. And so I think, I think that's why I still maintain, part of me still thinks he might be the only one that would have a shot against Trump. But I have no idea. I have to, this is the most interesting time we're living in. I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> Oh, I agree. And again, like I have great affinity for Bernie and I, and my husband and I have talked about this extensively, like he's so authentic and he's been so, so, so consistent. I remember, you know, one of my favorite clips ever from the daily show was when they unearthed these um, public access TV shows that Bernie did like way back in the day in Vermont where Bernie's like telling kids not to do cocaine and like all this like, <laughs> crazy Bernie stuff. But it's like, you, you watch those clips and see he's been so consistent throughout his whole life it's 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 nuts but i just think you know i i don't think that the country would go for anyone even a democratic socialist i don't think that's gonna fly yeah interesting. maybe it would have been 2016 who knows but i don't think it's gonna fly today yeah i think things have changed well you, i mean there's this is just lived experience and anecdotal but you know i was a bernie voter and i'm not voting for him this time like things have changed and, and I think there are probably others like me who um, have walked away. The, you and I, we've talked about this before. We don't need to rehash it. There are a couple of Dem- Democrats that I would vote for if they get the nomination, but um, he's not one of them this time. So, um, okay. Let's see. Do you have any more questions, Carter? I'm, I'm, oh, Britt, Mc, Britt McMurray. Thank you, Britt. Super chat, four ninety nine. Where do the extra pennies go? I don't know. Okay, so Carter has one more question. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. She's uh, he's she. I I uh, I got I misgendered you, Carter. Carter is wondering what it is that you like about Buttigieg. What Buttigieg originally got my attention when I saw him at like this town hall he did like a mile away from my house where um, he he was talking about health care and he was talking about, um, you know, he brought all these people together for a panel, essentially. And I hadn't really thought too much of him at the time, but he, he came in and one of the things that got my attention was he sat there on the panel and he was really listening to what people were saying. And he was taking all these notes. Like he brought this little notebook with him. He was taking all these notes. He was asking super thoughtful questions and i thought you know he's he's obviously someone that's very intelligent and he's listening to people and he's listening from from a variety of sources he's taking in this information um in a way that i thought was was yeah i had not seen other candidates do that at least on the campaign so then he got my attention and he was talking about issues relating to belongingness and and you know what happens after trump and, you know, that's a question that's going to have to be reckoned with at some point, because, I mean, Trump has upended a lot of things. But, you know, I liked the vision of someone thinking about what happens next. Um, I also like 
that he I don't believe he would take any rash steps in terms of healthcare. He I, I like that he was more moderate in that approach and like we're making inter- incremental improvements. Um, you know, I, I, I believe that no one should go broke because they, they get sick. I think it's just absolutely insane. Um but the other thing is it's just um and Marianne Williamson talked about this a lot on her campaign and I secretly loved Marianne Williamson until she got like wicked bitter about things. I don't love her anymore. <laughs> oh me too. I loved her. Um, okay, we share she- that in common too. Yeah. And and she talked a lot about how the president provides moral leadership. And that's one of the primary roles of the president is to provide that moral leadership. And I felt like Buttigieg could absolutely provide that. I think he's he's a very controlled person. He's a very di- uh, disciplined person. Um, and and I liked that, frankly, like he's boring. He's really boring. And I don't necessarily th- I think the president should be boring. <laughs> <laughs> Like, not like the uh, WrestleMania president that we have now. I kind of like, I've grown to where I like the WrestleMania president. Listen, I, I, we're yeah. going to go through massive withdrawals after Trump from all the crazy. <laughs> Every, like, as a collective society, we're going to go through withdrawal. Unless Trump Jr. or Ivanka gets elected, like, who the hell knows? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, okay, so people in the chat are really upset about the nice things I've said about Bernie. Okay, I get it. <laughs> they're like well this is true uh kiara says this is this is probably true bernie is sincere but he sincerely believes in an evil system and that sounds like a carter quote because carter would say stuff about that when i empathize with sjw friends and he's like but it doesn't matter what their intent is if they have an evil belief system it's it's about what the beliefs are um i get that again i just I don't know. Sincerity goes a ways with me. Even if you disagree with their evil beliefs, I kind of tend to look at that. So, um, okay. So what is, let's see, what's next for you, Carlin? What do you, are you going to be appearing on Fox news with some Republicans? God willing. I'm shooting for Tucker Carlson. If I'm going Fox News, that'd be amazing. Um, I don't know. I've, I've, I've got all these like talk radio people reaching out to me. I got offered like a position as a contributor at this like big DC blog. That one of the she's like um the person that runs this, like on the walkaway board. So I don't know, man. I'm I'm writing it, and I think it's funny too because um you know politics is like not what I do. I'm I'm like a psychologist. That's that's what I do. But I've actually had a lot of people reach out to me that are big wigs at big companies saying, you know, come work with our team off of this, which I thought was interesting because it's a controversial thing, but people are doing that too. So, um, so who knows? We'll see. I just, the crazy needs to die down a little bit before I even start to think about this. <laughs> uh, Carter says in reference to what we just talked about was, uh, he says, quote, I'm here to murder you. Come on in. You sound like an honest guy. <laughs> okay, Carter. <laughs> it matters okay so here's a question from alan this is a good question because because uh one of your detractors called your piece propaganda and so alan asks is your piece propaganda and if so why not my piece is not propaganda in fact my piece almost didn't even get written um and i think this is something i was telling carter i think before the show is like i i kind of like i sat around a lot of the trump rally because you're there for hours and hours and hours before it starts and i just kind of started taking some notes and thought about maybe i should write a piece about what this is like but then i i just decided "Ah, i'm too busy i've got other stuff i need to do i'm not going to write this but then i woke up the day of the primary and it was like I had to get it out of my system. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I had to put it on paper. I wrote that whole article in about 20 minutes. I didn't even proofread mm. it. Like, this was not some grand scheme. <laughs> and then I just posted it, and I kind of left it and was like, all right, whatever happens with that happens. And then I went and voted in the primary and did work for the rest of the day. So, no, I would have, if it was actual propaganda, I would have probably not published it with so many typos. <laughs> that's how, see, I, I believe, well, in my experience, that's how the best that's how the best pieces come to be because then you're not even, you don't have, you're not muscling it. You're not overthinking it. It just pours out of you quickly. Mm-hmm. That's why when it's not pouring out of you, it's hard to write, at least for me. Cause I'm like, where is it? It's not coming. And I'm trying to intellectualize it too much and it's not coming. But when it just flows like that, 20 minutes, that's, that's amazing. It's like, that is something I think this is a little hippy dippy spiritual, but I think that's like something moving through you. That's like, you're channeling insight, truth, something. Yeah, I, I 
100% think that this was like a faded thing. And so like I'm I'm a, like a little woo woo. I'm I'm a lot woo woo actually. So I have oh, a good. Code- well, no, but what's funny about this is like I had a coach. I have a coach that I meet with every single week. He's a psychic. His name is like Joshua McGuire. He's awesome. But he was he kept telling me he's like Carlin, something is coming. Something is coming. You need to follow your excitement. Do whatever you're excited about. And so he he knew something was coming. He didn't know what it was. Um, but I just I think that's what this was. It's like I needed to write it. I needed to get it out of my system. It came so easily. Um, and you know, I mean, it, it's it, it's something that it's obviously struck a chord with a lot of people like people needed to hear that message. And for some reason I was the one to write it. And it's been pretty humbling, honestly. It's it's when you think about like the scale of what this is, it's been incredibly humbling. That's awesome. Well, we are very happy for you. And I'm going to echo what Thomas says in the chat. Please don't leave book club. (laughs) Book club. I love book club. Book club is the best. Cool. <laughs> I've already read the next book. I can't. I can't leave now. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear it. Um, okay, I'm gonna wrap it up. Uh, it's been interesting driving the train with you without Carter. Carter, is it okay if I wrap it up? He says yes. Okay. <laughs> so, so tell people where they can follow you, tell people where they can follow your writing, you're on Medium and Twitter, but give people your handles and stuff and Instagram. Yeah, so I'm on I'm on Twitter at Dr. Carlin B. Um, you can find me at zenworkplace.com. I'm also a contributor for Forbes, so I write a lot of a lot of stuff for them. And I actually just recently published a different controversial article that is not getting as much play as I would like, but uh, but you know, maybe it will. Who knows? Um, but uh, oh, Dr. Yeah. Carlin Go ahead. Wait, wait. Let me interrupt you. You interviewed, didn't you interview Alan Dershowitz? Did interview Alan Dershowitz? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> read that one. You can read that um on on my Forbes page. Um, and I've I've linked to it um on my Twitter many many times. But yeah, it's it's about the dark side of the Me Too movement and what happens when men are falsely accused um as part of that movement. Cool. And what's your Twitter handle one more time? Because I talked about. Dr. Carlin B. Dr. Carlin B. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to talking to you uh, at book club and online. I'm sure once you come up from from yeah. all the busy stuff that's <laughs> happening to you right now, I'm sure we'll chat again. Well, um, you guys, if it's your first time here, this is uh, Daily Kafafi. It's a live show that we do on Mondays and Fridays. Uh, you're watching. It's part of Unsafe Space, and um, you can follow us online at unsafespace.com, or you can go to our our Twitter at Unsafe Space. And uh, the book club we've mentioned is going to be coming up in about a month. We're about to select a date, and you can start reading the book now. It's Douglas Murray's The Madness of Crowds. Uh, thank you for tuning in. If you hit, if you're still in the chat, hit like on the video, and uh, feel free to share this with people. Let us know what you think in the comments. Okay. Thank you. Bye, silent partner, Carter. (laughs) Bye.